0: All right, Lil, can you tell me what a literal Switch and the Pokémon games have in common? I don't know, Chris, you tell me. Turns out, if you press a button, the entire game changes. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Gearscast, everyone. If you don't know what I've just referenced, well, it turns out that the new Pokémon games, I think,
1: what are they called? Brilliant Diamond and Brilliant Pearl? Diamond and Shining Pearl, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, basically, those games, they didn't even bother making uh, two separate games anymore. And I don't blame the developers for this, but basically, there is a flag in the game, in the code. There is a variable that you just switch the variable and switches to the other game. So if you have a modded switch, you can just switch the variable and get the other game. <laughs> Uh, Which is pretty damn funny. And I think it's interesting that there is so little difference in the Pokemon games that there is no incentive to actually keep separate game files of them. And it's the same game file. just thought that was interesting news.
0: Definitely. It honestly kind of shocked me. Like, yes, it is really funny. (laughs) But, like, it lays open this, like, charade that we've had to deal with for over 25 years now where the pokemon developers are like no 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 they're definitely two different games and like whenever people point out that it's like no it's just the same game you're just selling it twice to earn more money and they're just like no we can't bring this experience into one game because it's just so different and like (laughs) (laughs) this stuff is like oh so it's literally just one game code (laughs) you just yeah, put the yeah. Switch on.
1: Hmm. If you if you own Brilliant Diamond, everything you needed to play Shining Pearl is in that game. And yeah. vice versa. Exactly. I am a, sort of a Pokemon fan, but I am not a Pokemon nerd. So I didn't buy those. And I'm not terribly interested in them. I just don't think they are worth my time. I... I'm not interested in them whatsoever, so I don't think I have like a unbiased opinion on these games, but it's just so ridiculous to me that they're still going on with selling two games,
0: yeah, and it's like adds to that, I agree with you that I don't blame the developers, you know how so many video games are released too early and you have all these crazy stories behind it of how the developers were like punished and like forced to push it out early and they were in such a rush because of like the pressure from the higher ups and everything and blah 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 blah, blah, right with the pokemon franchise the problem is the developers of the pokemon franchise are the owners of the pokemon franchise So the reason they are rushing their games and pushing this shit out and just vomiting up everything they can before it's even half-baked, right? It's just because they want to? Yeah. And it's not even much different with this game, even though it's not made by, you know, the owners of the Pokemon license. More than an unfinished game, it's a game that was never supposed to be finished in the first place, if that makes sense. Like, Mm. if you're following my logic, it's like... It's not an unfinished and rushed game, it's just a game that was never supposed to be much of anything in the first place. Where, yes it is rushed, yes it's extremely buggy, like I wanted to talk about that. I am like plastered with like bug compilations of the new Pokémon games every day on social media. But like, they exclude so much from the modern Pokémon games that you can tell that there was never a full idea behind them in the first place. Like there was never a finished product. The unfinished product that we're getting that is rushed out is, in parentheses, the finished product. <laughs> if you're, if you catch my drift, which is honestly, I think that's worse. <laughs> like with these other rushed games that you know get released in very unfortunate states, which I think the triple A gaming industry hasn't released a finished game in the last five years. The only finished AAA game that I recall being released in all in this whole time period is like Borderlands 3. <laughs> <laughs> and like that was really buggy when it came out. But it, it was a finished game. Like what they wanted to implement was implemented. The story was coherent enough. It was a finished game. <laughs> but like everything else is just like, oh, we'll fix this later. And with the Pokemon games, there isn't even a fix, we'll fix this later. It's just like, oh, it's unfinished, but we don't really care. We're just going to hop on to the next thing and, like, bake it like a quarter fruit and then just serve it to you. I'm perplexed.
1: <laughs> yeah, it feels like the Pokemon games just... I don't think that the developers are, like, bad at their jobs. I think, like, there's no need to make something good when your game will just sell anyway. I don't know if you know that, but Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are currently the second largest launch in Japan.
0: Yeah, I've seen that. You just hit the nail on the the head. They don't feel like it's necessary to bring out a finished game. So they just bring out their games as soon as they're basically, which let's be honest, that's what it is, basically playable. And that's it. And then they move on to the next thing. You can tell with, like, brilliant and Diamonds and Shining Pearl. I think with each release, you can tell more and more that this is just, like, the absolute bare minimum. Like, if you look at the 3D graphics, the, the things they updated and stuff, they just went slightly over the line of, like, barely playable, barely updated, barely anything, and then they release it. And that's so sad.
1: <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the screenshots, but have you seen the thing about the waylord? Yes. So, (laughs) for
0: context, this game reintroduced a very beloved feature, which a lot of the remakes had in Pokemon, which is basically like the Pokemon following you in the overworld, which you'd think that by now we're done separating overworld from fighting graphics and in-game graphics, considering we're literally on a full-blown 3D console, but whatever. And normally, they either have the full model of the Pokemon following you in the past, or a chibi-fied version of that Pokemon to fit like the smaller scale of the overworld. In this game, they didn't put in the effort of like making a different model and stuff. Instead, they just shrunk down the normal Pokemon models. So you have Pokemon like the legendaries, like you just mentioned, Waylord, that are literally shrunken down to like smaller than human size. And Pokemon like Rayquaza, the giant green god snake, they just look like
1: some weird garden snake. It's awful. (laughs) It's really... (sighs) Just for context, Waylord is a whale. And it's fucking huge, but not in this game. And from what I've seen, even in, in the battles, which I think is more egregious, it's still fucking tiny. Like, it's still smaller than you in battle. Yes, where it could be more plausible that they would make a bigger size model, but no, it's just tiny. It's it's a baby.
0: I honestly think that's like all there is to say about it. Like I said, uh, I think we talked about this game a bunch of times in the past, uh, even when it was first announced. The graphics and stuff did get better from that point on. I guess I can give them credit for that, but like. It's exactly as I described earlier, they went as far as to update the graphics so much that you could say they updated them. (laughs) But that's it. You know what I mean? Like, they, they went over the line of like, these are updated graphics, and they left it there. Because like in the past, when we first talked about it, it literally looked like they ported a DS game onto the Switch. And, like, upscaled it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now it looks like a ported DS game on the Switch, but now it's also upscaled. (laughs) So, (laughs) great. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that's it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, we are going to be talking about the games that we have played in this past month. However, we have played so many games that we will only take a part of them, and we will actually make a second episode covering the other games that we have played (laughs) because we have played so many that there is absolutely no way it fits in one episode
0: exactly and also gives us more time to like play through them (laughs) and like actually finish them
1: yeah for next episode I have prepared a list of about six games that are all connected by genre and I'm still playing the sixth one so I don't want to bring that in today when I could thematically connect it next time so
0: Same for me, same for me. Awesome. So the first game I want to talk about is a game called Inscription. Now, you may have already heard about it. It is a pretty popular game right now, at least like in the internet and gaming spaces where this kind of game, well, is popular. (laughs) I heard about it in a bunch of podcasts, actually. And so I've already gotten a little bit spoiled on the true identity of the game. I'm definitely not gonna spoil you as hard as I've been spoiled <laughs> about it, but I have to obviously talk a little bit about what it actually is. So, Inscription is a horror card game roguelike with puzzle elements and also elements of fourth wall breaking and overmedia. media which sounds extremely wishy-washy, but when you actually play it, it's a very coherent experience. So please don't think that it's like something that, that goes all over the place. And so I will not talk about what happens after just a few hours of play. I will be focusing on the first few hours because I personally think they're excellent. And maybe they're also my favorite part of the game, I don't know yet, because I haven't finished all of it. But I definitely like the first part of it more than the part where I'm at right now. So the synopsis of this first part of inscription is that basically, you are a person that has been kidnapped by a mysterious figure, a man that sits across from you at the table, And you never really fully see him. You just know that he's just this very grotesque figure with like really skinny arms and very scary eyes and a beard. And this figure forces you to play a roguelike card game. You know, the genre that is really popular right now with stuff like, I mean, I'm going to be talking about a roguelike card game in the same episode later on. So basically, you build up your own deck, you try to navigate yourself through the map that is laid out on the table, and once you choose the next level, he rolls up the map again, and you play against him in this PvE card game fashion. Now, the fascinating thing about this is, like I said, it actually does take place on this table. So like, left from you, there's a Book of the Rules... On the right side, there's like candles and stuff. And whenever you're not in a PvE fight against this dungeon master, you are allowed to like leave the table and explore the the cabin room he's holding you in. And you can do this freely, even though he will sometimes comment on you and threaten you. He will never try to interrupt your exploration. So the only way you can actually die or get hurt by your kidnapper is by actually dying in the game. But believe me, he will be cruel about that. <laughs> you, you also obviously have to follow the rules of the card game. And if you break them, he will uh, be really, really angry. The clue of the game comes in when you realize that these cards that you're playing with actually can talk to you because they're actually past victims of your kidnapper. And they will try to help you out more and more like along your ride. And they will like give you hints... On the card game itself, but also on the room you're held in. So like like one of the cards will be like, oh, I think I've seen a code of the safe behind you. I can only tell you the first few numbers, the rest is written somewhere in the book. And you look at the book of rules, the kidnapper will be like, why are you looking at the rules right now? What are you trying to find? And you find, you know, the code for the safe behind you, stuff like that is all over the place. It makes for such a tense and fascinating experience, because I don't think it's possible to complete a run of the game in your first couple of tries, because the kidnapper just straight up forgets to explain some of the rules to you. (laughs) So I definitely think you have to die a couple of times. But even this is very important to the experience, because if you die, you obviously, like his other victims, get turned into a card. And you can use these cards that are his past victims because they're especially powerful because while he's killing you, he asks you about your personality, which will shape the card that you get turned into. It doesn't really have jump scares, but it's decidedly a horror game just because of its very dense and pressing atmosphere. It has have body horror elements because the damage points are represented by teeth. And the more teeth are on the side of either you or your kidnapper, the more damage that means that that person has taken. And you can, for example, this is just an example, it gets wilder than this, rip out your own teeth in order to deal damage to him as like a last ditch effort. And he will be impressed by that. (laughs) There is a lot to discover in this first section of the game, and it never really overstates it's welcome. You can eventually exploit the rules of the game and create really powerful combinations and cards that not even your enemy can react to. For example, when I actually got to the final boss fight, which I won't spoil, he barely could do anything against me because I completely just exploited my cards and his weaknesses. But yeah, no, it's honestly so fascinating. It's probably the best thing I've played this year, just this first section of the game. Because, like, it has so many fun elements, even though it's so scary and so depressing. Because your kidnapper has, like, a bunch of masks laying around, and he will, like, change up his voice and stuff as he plays, like, different characters, like a shopkeeper or a boss fight or all kinds of things that you can do. You can even, like, fuse your cards or sacrifice your cards to infuse others with their effects, all that kind of stuff. And it's all so thematically coherent. It's got an atmosphere that it never breaks. It's awesome. And I won't tell you what happens after that. I think I'm going to do that next time when I hopefully finish the game. But yeah, that's Inscription. It's very, very, very fascinating. And I can only heavily recommend it. Even if you don't like these kinds of roguelike card games.
1: I'm actually very surprised. I didn't expect you to sing such high praise of it. And I am now interested to actually pick it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people have
0: been mainly talking about it in the sense that like what happens later. So like, there are spoils about this game abound. But I don't think that's like its biggest strength, like all of this stuff of the fourth wall breaks and the game in the game. I don't think that's like its best part. I think like the actual game is what's really good about it.
1: I guess it's my turn to talk, and the first thing on my list is actually not a full game. It's the Animal Crossing New Horizons 2.0 update and the DLC. So Animal Crossing New Horizons has been around for about a year and a half right now, and I think it's finally finished. (laughs) (laughs) So there's been a bunch of Animal Crossings before this one and they've all had a lot of content and from the beginning, from when Animal Crossing New Horizons was released, people kind of realized a lot of the content that was expected from this game that was in previous games just isn't there and people just like didn't know if we have this a bit more of a bare bones Animal Crossing experience, even though they added a lot of things, they also just didn't straight up give us a bunch of things that we thought would be in a game like that, that we came to expect. And the 2.0 update changed things a lot, along with the DLC. So to explain, there's a lot of new things that have been added, and a lot of them are new stuff that wasn't Previous games, and a lot of it is also quality of life changes, which I think is huge for Animal Crossing, because, boy, do I know that there's a lot of not-so-great things you have to go through to get to the good content. (laughs) And just artificially made restrictions and stuff like that. Part of this is a free update, and part of this is DLC. So I'm gonna try to separate them, but since I own both, it's kind of hard for me to remember which parts belong where but there's a lot of quality of life changes just around your island that really help you compare to what you had before like before if you wanted to buy a specific kind of item that wasn't normally stocked in your store you had to wait for a specific person to visit your island and they had a random chance of appearing anytime if you play animal crossing you can think of Red, for example, who sells paintings and only comes once in a blue moon to your island and Mm. you need him to finish the museum. This is no longer the case. These characters still appear randomly, but you can now at any time, you can come onto a separate island and once you made some payments so that their shops can be set up, all of those characters can be visited at any time, I think from 5am to midnight on any day. So that is pretty huge. So you can buy painting every day, you can buy shrubs every day, you can buy shoes every day, you know, that sort of stuff. So that is a huge thing that you don't have to wait for a random chance to see if today you can buy a bag, you know. I think it's pretty damn good. And also you have stuff like access to storage when you're not in your house, you can just put storage units around your island so you can pick stuff up, put stuff there. Or the same with your bank account, you can just take stuff out on your island instead of having to go into your residence center or whatever. There's also new stuff that was added that was in previous games as well, like the cafe that you can go to. Even though, sadly, it's not a separate building, it's still something. It's still a place you can visit. It's in the museum right now. You also have the gyroids, which are really fun. Those, like, little creatures that sing along to your songs. There's also farming now. Oh, yeah! Yeah! you can just plant crops like you had pumpkins before, you can now farm potatoes or carrots or whatever and you don't have to put patterns on the ground that look like it's a farm, you can actually make a farm, you know? It's really sweet. And then there is the DLC and that also gives you some updates to the main game even though it mostly happens on a separate island and it gives you a lot of decorating stuff for your house, like you can do ceiling decorations, you can expand or shrink your room however you want, you can make pillars and you can make partition walls so your room doesn't have to be a rectangle anymore. And you can also do, it's an accent wall, so you can make your wall pattern one wallpaper and then make one of the walls a different wallpaper. It's really sweet and it really adds a lot of options into decorating your house. But I want to talk about the DLC now. The DLC is Happy Home Paradise. It's a variation on a previous separate game that was released on the Nintendo 3DS which was Happy Home Designer in which you designed houses for other villagers. They just told you what they wanted and you made a house for them. This DLC takes the concept and kind of just runs with it. I am really impressed by what they have managed to do, actually. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more added. Not only do you decorate the interior with all the new options that you have with the DLC, like the ceiling decor and the accent walls and the partitions, But also you are decorating the outside, you can like change how their house looks and you can do the decor like around their house, you like pick a spot for them, you you can change the seasons, you can change what time of day it is, you can change if it's snowing, if it's misty, you can plant trees, plant bushes, plant flowers, plant whatever and just put stuff outside, make them an inside as well as an outside and it's really cute you can also do facilities. So, for example, you can design a school or you can design a restaurant. And you don't have to just do the separate houses for those villagers, but you can also do like big projects like this. Hmm. And, of course, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. It's a slow trip. You won't start your first designing by having access to partition walls and outside exterior and stuff like that. You will start slowly and over time you will gain those options and you can then go back and just redesign houses you have already done. I think it's a nice pace because I think I would have felt a little bit overwhelmed if I just had access to all of these new things at once so I don't think it's quite as bad that those options unlock with time. I think it's reasonable because there's really a lot of stuff and it can get overwhelming. <laughs> and I want to talk about how surprised I was at just the comparable ease of use and the quality of life that this has compared to what Animal Crossing New Horizons has had for us before. Mm. There is a surprising amount of customizability that you have. If you're designing inside of a house, you know how you can customize your furniture and like change how it looks? You can do that very simply with two clicks. You don't have to do any sort of bullshit like going to a crafting desk or whatever and changing it. If you're going outside, you can plant rocks, trees, plants, whatever. But first of all, it's easy to do and second off, You can actually change into different variations of the same thing without like having to replant something. If you have a tree, you can change it with a click of one button to be a stump, or to be a small tree, or to be a a medium tree, or to be a large tree, or stuff like that. The customizability is just something I would not expect from New Horizons. (laughs) Also the same thing with rocks, weeds, flowers, you can just plant all of those. Change them up however you want. It's really sweet that it makes things easier for you like that. Which, I don't know if I should praise a game for that, but I'm going to praise Animal Crossing for that. Yeah, Animal Crossing New Horizons. Happy Home Paradise. Quite a mouthful. Good game. Good DLC. It is very fun. Brings a lot of quality of life stuff. And I recommend it. It's fun. If you like designing, try it. It's, It's fun. It's good. Wow!
0: Well, I'm actually really happy that after such a long while, we really got the long-awaited Animal Crossing update. It definitely seems like some of the stuff was, like, ready earlier, and they just waited for the DLC to be ready so they can just push them out at the same time to increase interest in the DLC. But, like, what I was wondering about, how does, like, the farming and cooking work? You basically just create, like... Items through it that you just place in your house then
1: or what exactly is it? So you gather the ingredients either by farming Like you used to do with pumpkins now. There's potatoes carrots and others and some ingredients are also for example like fish and You gather the recipes Either by catching the fish or growing the crops or whatever where it does that little pop-up that it your character came up with the recipe Or you can buy them, or you can find them from balloons or, you know, on the shore, in the bottles. And then you can eat them, of course. And that gives you, like, a full strength bar, like, fruit gives you. And you can also place the meals in your house. Like, I know people were doing fake meals with making patterns and putting them on hats so they could, like, display them and pretend they have food. And now you can do that with actual food.
0: All right, nice. The next game I want to mention, I don't know how much I'm gonna talk about it, is the new update for Legends of Runeterra. I know I'm back with a live service game, but it actually fits into what I'm going to talk about next and also next week. Because if you've been living under a rock, You couldn't tell, (laughs) but if you didn't, you may have noticed that League of Legends has been doing a huge marketing push right now with the release of one of the most successful Netflix shows of all time, and I'm going to talk about that later, but with that marketing push obviously comes an increased interest in all of their games. And the problem Riot Games uh, faces (laughs) because of this is that... Out of all of the games that they're involved with and have been making and have announced and have uh, put out and have had events for yada yada yada, League of Legends is by far the worst one. <laughs> so if you're someone that has a newly found interest in the League of Legends world, playing League of Legends is probably the worst thing you can do because it has nothing to do with the League of Legends world and it's also just, well, a very cheap and ugly and Not really worth your time, game. I sound like such a hater, but like we've been new. Like this is not news. So what I instead recommend you to do is play Legends of Runeterra, the League of Legends card game, which has so much in terms of gameplay, so much to offer you. And now the newest update of it uh, offers you a campaign a single player pve mode which if the rumors are to we've all been hearing are true is actually more popular than the pvp modes so like player versus player is less popular than player versus enemy in legends of frontera and this is because they've always had a lot of very addicting single player modes and the newest update adds a permanent single player mode that doesn't rotate out it's not an event that is supposed to offer you different campaigns, different story modes with comics, as well as decisions for a multitude of champions. You can play a lot of different characters in this mode, but only a few of them, I think around six, if I'm not mistaken, have an actual comic and story in the game as of right now. And so, yeah, basically you start up this mode, you choose a champion, it opens up a map of the world of Runeterra and it starts you off with an introductory mission. This one is the only one that has a story, but you can actually choose different power-ups and make different decisions in this introductory story mode that tell the tale of these characters stemming from Piltover and Zahn, the the steampunk and punk in general cities of Runeterra. What I have to say about this mode is if you've played the PvE modes in Legends of Ontario in the past, it's very similar to that, but on a bigger scope, which is good and bad. Because what I can definitely say after playing this for a couple of weeks, it's very much geared to be endlessly replayable in a sense that like after this introductory mission, the map opens up largely and you get to choose so many different places to travel to and fight very varied enemies and bosses there that challenge you in very different ways but also allow you to unlock very different powers and it has a progression outside of that in which you mainly just upgrade your leading champion as well as your deck as a whole so for example Caitlyn. She is focused around planting traps on inside of the enemy deck. And one of her key upgrades that you will unfortunately get <laughs> rather late is at the start of the match, plant one trap on each and every card of the enemy deck, which sounds really strong, but it's, it's not that strong. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so that's just one of the examples of upgrades you can find, you can also find items called relic items, which are items that you can equip to your champion and will always be on your champion. For all of your missions, you can switch those out as well. There's stuff like giving your champion always a spell shield, for example, I'd say it's very entertaining. Unfortunately, it's because of this endless repairability It's also very, very, very grindy. Sometimes you really can't get around the inherent weaknesses of your champions. So like, for example, Echo just has a really small health pool. If you're fighting a boss that has a lot of removal, a lot of spells that just deal damage, Echo's just not, can't really counter that at all. And also add to that that like, all of these power ups and new cards and items and stuff you find during a mission are random. And unfortunately, I just had like bad luck a lot of times where There's so many cards in the game already and you can encounter, I think, all of the cards in the game that I'd say more often than not, every time I get to the point where I can choose between three random cards or three random sets of cards or even three random new champions, usually they are not good up until completely useless and actively sabotaging my deck. Unfortunately for me personally. The point where all of your choices are actually bad for your deck happens way too many times. Later on, you do unlock the possibility of like removing cards at will, but only during specific parts of the mission. I'm a bit conflicted about this because in the introductory mission, which you can also just replay however many times you want, but in the introductory mission of this mode, the upgrades are still random, but they are limited. They are random, yes, but they are geared towards your champion. So like, for example, I already said Caitlyn, uh, a champion she works really well with together is Timo, because they both plant traps in the enemy deck. And a lot of Caitlyn's cards, they don't care what kind of trap has just been activated or what kind of trap has been placed into the enemy deck. So they synergize really well with Timo during her introductory mission, you get to choose Timo and his cards to add to your deck, but you also can choose other cards, but usually cards that synergize with her. And that limitation is just completely removed in all of the other modes. And unfortunately, that just usually brings you in dead-end situations where you're forced to, for example, pick a a champion that synergizes with completely different cards than the one you already have. And usually that means that they synergize with cards that you, well, don't have and can't get. And so it's often just really a gamble to which cards you're taking, which champions you're taking in the hopes of, okay, maybe I can randomly find them later on again, which is a bit sucky (laughs) but otherwise no it's a it's a really good and not to mention free new roguelike card game and i'm very excited for the updates that we'll receive in the future i think this has huge potential like i think the biggest impressive point about legends of frontera is that it's a truly free card game and that continues into its pve and i think that's really impressive because this kind of thing In Hearthstone, or Wend, or all of the other cards. This kind of thing would cost 20 to 40 euros. And in this game, it's completely free. That's Legends of Runeterra Path of Champions.
1: Try it out. I am tempted.
0: (laughs) I mean, if you like cards, this is the shit.
1: (laughs) I definitely am a fan of roguelikes, and I am a fan of card games. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cute. It's got voice lines and stuff. It's fun so I have one more game to talk about this session and that is unpacking I don't know if you've seen it around but it's a game that kind of blew up it's a game about unpacking (laughs) you are moved through a series of places and you open up your boxes and you unpack what you have brought and put it in places that's it and it's really good. (laughs) So let me explain. It's a really relaxing game. Unpacking your stuff, just opening your box, seeing what you pull out and trying to find a space for it is a really chill thing. It's really pleasant and it's really comforting. (laughs) I definitely played this game just like in short bursts when... I, like, didn't feel the best and just wanted something chill to, like, keep my mind occupied and, like, do something that's sort of a little bit of routine, you know, just doing a little bit of ordering. And it can help you find order when you're currently lacking order in your life. You can play this game to create your own order, you know, and have a peaceful experience in that sort of way. This game, spoilers, it is gay. (laughs) (laughs) You are playing as a girl and through environmental storytelling and through the end card, you eventually find out that you have met another girl and you eventually have a baby. And it's really nice in that sort of way how it presents it. Because until the end it doesn't outright tell you, but you can pretty much, like, infer stuff, you know, like, when you unpack your things throughout the first few years, throughout the first few moves, you you know, you know what sort of clothing you wear, like, you're unpacking yourself some bras or whatever, some dresses, like, you know, you can sort of, like, infer your gender with a level of confidence, and, you know, then you move, and You maybe move to a different place, you move to something larger, you move with a roommate that is really messy and has like messy bowls on the table while you're unpacking and (laughs) over time you maybe move back to a smaller place and then you move back to a bigger place and you unpack your things, you put them on the shelves, you put them in the drawers, and then the next move, you're not unpacking your things anymore. Your things are still in there. You're still in the same house. But there's new boxes of clothes and whatever and you can infer, okay, someone is moving in with me. And, well, that person also has dresses and bras and that sort of thing. And, you know, like, eventually you're decorating a nursery, like, where you're, like, where a cradle is, and you have like baby hats, and, and plushies, and that sort of stuff. This game is amazing at like sort of telling a story just by its environment. There's a lot of little things that are in this game and are really fun. Like, for example, there is a lot of fun in discovering what things that you unpacked last time when you moved to a different place that you're still carrying with you, and what things you don't. Like, maybe you had three different plushies, and but on the next move, you only brought the pig with you, you know. And you just left the others behind. So you can sort of get a different nice feel of the person. Like, what did they grow out of, but what do they still like, you know. And some things, maybe, they last and they grow up with you. When you have your first move in, you have a chicken. You have a chicken plushie. And then, it appears that with each move you make, another chicken plushie comes along with. And eventually, you have like 10 of them. <laughs> you have like 10 different chicken plushies. And they're adorable. And you, you can like see that charm and getting more of that thing that you already had. It's really funny. <laughs> very fun like following this person throughout their life and just guessing what could have happened in their life. Like, did they move in with someone for uni and did they move back with their parents now? That sort of stuff. So it's really relaxing. I have one small nitpick that I want to mention about the game. And that is, the game is purely visual in the sense of what things you're unpacking. And Sometimes it is a bit hard to tell what you're dealing with, and that can cause some issues. So in this game, you can't just place everything anywhere. After you unpack all of the things, the game tells you, hey, this thing can't be here, you know, like if you place a video game console in the middle of the floor, it will tell you like, no, you can't progress, this can't be here. And Different things, of course, have different limitations. You can put socks in your sock drawer, but you can't put a plushie in your sock drawer or whatever. So that is usually fine, but I have had a couple instances where I just couldn't figure out where a thing goes because I couldn't figure out what it was. (laughs) One funny instance of this actually that I didn't find frustrating at all was In the first couple instances, you can see you have, like, a diploma, and it's, like, framed, and you can hang it on on the wall. And at one point, you move into a house where there's no free space on the walls. So what you have to do, the only place the game allows you to place this diploma, this framed diploma, because there is no space on the walls that you can put it on, is under your bed. What? Yeah, like, the game just goes, like, you can't place it here, and you sort of have to infer at the end that, like, okay, so it can't be on the floor, because the game tells me it can't be on the floor, it can't be in my drawers, because it's too big, and the walls are full. There's windows, there's cupboards, like, there's no space to put that, so it goes (laughs) right underneath my bed. And it does sort of tell a little bit of story, right, that, like, you're in a situation where you can't display something that you're proud of that you have carried with yourself. Huh. Yeah. But it was problematic in a few instances. In one case I struggled a lot with what ended up being a magnetic whiteboard that belonged on the fridge. You could only place it on the fridge and I had no idea what it was. I just I thought it looked a bit like etch a sketch, you know, and I could like put it on my desk, but no. And I spent a lot of time, like, figuring out, okay, where do I put it? And it ended up being the fridge. And it wasn't great because I couldn't figure out what it was. I've never had a magnetic whiteboard put on a fridge. So it was a little bit frustrating. But other than that, the game is just really sweet. I really recommend it.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Wow. I mean, okay, look whenever I see a successful indie game in a breakout genre ever since what was that called that one walking simulator game where you came back home a few years back that like was that huge indie game where the big plot twist was like that you're a lesbian (laughs) ever since that (laughs) game anytime this happens I'm just like okay, the game is secretly gay. <laughs> and I'm really, <laughs> I'm really happy that you could confirm that for me. But I have one question. I've heard a lot of people talk, I mean, obviously a little bit cryptically about the story of it, but I've heard a lot of people say that it's it gets really sad and very emotional at times. I've been a little bit
1: scared of that. What can you say about that? I mean, the game is about environmental storytelling, right? It doesn't... Yeah directly tell you a story so i think the level of emotional investment you have in this game is almost entirely up to you mm-hmm. you can opt out of the story and just consider it a chill experience the story will probably hit you a little bit but i think it can very much be regulated to what level it impacts you simply because it's not hitting you in the face you know Okay, okay. Well, I'm I'm very interested. Actually, I
0: was gonna buy either unpacking or inscription and I decided I I just like last split second decided for inscription. So like my interest in unpacking is really high, (laughs) to be fair.
1: Yeah, I recommend it. It's it's rather short, but it was worth it for me. All right, awesome. I guess now it's time to
0: turn up the Chris cast uh, because I'm the one that's going to be talking for the rest of the cast. You, you're you not allowed to say anything else, Lily. I'm sorry. It's me time, okay? I know. I'll <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I have two things left. And they're actually related. You'll see. The first thing that I'm going to talk about is a new League of Legends game. What? Riot has made a new game? Yes. Well, technically. Riot Forge is the publishing branch of Riot, and I have to say, I'm really, really, really happy about it, because they are basically doing the opposite of what other big gaming companies are doing, in a sense of, like, they're taking these small and interesting studios that have high potential and have brought out high-quality games and killing them, literally, (laughs) and forcing them to make really shitty games that have nothing to do with their talents. Instead, They're looking for these talented studios that don't have any money and are out of options and giving them a shitload of money, playing to their strengths, and the only rule that they gave them is bring out a League of Legends game that takes place in the League of Legends world and don't break the lore. And they've done this with a bunch of studios. We'll talk about some more in the next episode. But this episode will focus on Hextech Mayhem, which is technically the first Riot Forge game that has ever come out. You may be thinking, wait, wasn't that Ruined King? No, (laughs) this actually came out a bunch of hours before it. And it was definitely finished before the Ruined King. I'll tell you that. Spoilers for next episode. So what is Hextech Mayhem? Hextech Mayhem is a rhythm jump and run game made by the developers of bit trip. I don't know if you know that it's basically this black jogger figure that jogs alongside 2d levels. And uh, he sprays rainbows and stuff. It's really cute. I've played their games in the past. A cute game. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, And this is no different. So in this game, you control Ziggs, which if you're not familiar with League of Legends, it's basically just an anthropomorphic chibi, furry, that's it, (laughs) that is very small and very cartoony, and he loves bombs, and he's juxtaposed to Heimerdinger, which we will talk about again in my next topic. He's of the same race, but he's very science focused, very sophisticated. He's a monocle. He studies the sciences and Pilt over this very fancy city of progress and innovation. And Ziggs has just decided to blow everything up. Not in a malicious way. He's not killing people because this is a very cartoony game. But he's just decided to cause some mayhem. And Heimerdinger wants to stop him. The game has a bunch of cutscenes that are honestly, <laughs> so charmingly animated they look a lot more expensive than they are because they look like the cutscenes themselves are very reminiscent of these very high budget modern games like Ratchet and Clank and Crash the way they did the cutscenes but you can tell that it is just so much more on a smaller scale but it still looks great it has such stretchy and elasticy and expressive animations it's awesome it looks like a 3D cartoon And so the game itself, I feel like, unfortunately, is a very mixed bag. If I were to give it a score, I'd say it's like a 6.5, maybe a 7, but I'm not sure. So what you're doing, as I said, it's a rhythm jump and run. And so each and every level in the entire game has a different song that you will be jumping throwing bombs and stomp attacking to the rhythm of now this obviously immediately comes with the fact that like some songs you're gonna be really feeling and really understanding the rhythm of and really well you're gonna be liking the song and some songs you're just gonna be what the fuck is this (laughs) this doesn't have a rhythm and even if it has a rhythm i don't like it so there's a like inherent dichotomy, unfortunately. And the problem is you can play to the rhythm of these levels. The game will tell you exactly what buttons to press at exactly what time to play perfectly into the rhythm of the level. And this will change up the sound of the song, it will increase the volume of the rock guitars, which is very satisfying. It will increase the effects and the impact of the buttons that you press to the rhythm. It's a a very satisfying music system. But here comes the thing that I just unfortunately don't like about the game. You can do that, as I just said, you can play perfectly to the rhythm of the game, but you can also... And in fact, you're heavily incentivized and, well, asked to sometimes not play to the rhythm of the song in order to gain secret coins, more coins, yeah, well, unlock secret parts of the level. And the problem that I have with this is that the game is very fast, and I honestly don't know when the game wants me to do this. And I guess this then just means that you just have to replay a level like a hundred times, I'm exaggerating, but a lot, a lot of times to understand when you can actually break out of the rhythm. But I don't like that. (laughs) Because for many reasons, actually, and I can explain all of them. First of all, if you break out of the rhythm, chances are you're going to hit something, either an object or an enemy, and you die in one hit. Dying isn't that big of a deal. You're not immediately dead. You're basically just in this limbo state until a short time passes and you are able to hit a note correctly again. So that doesn't sound bad, but the thing is there's three different currencies and you need two of them to progress. There's gold coins, there's blue coins, and there's ghost coins. Gold and blue coins you will usually get if you just follow the rhythm of the level. But usually there's at least one blue coin in the level that you can't get if you follow the rhythm of the level and ghost coins, you can never get if you follow the rhythm of the level. And so ghost coins are just there for cosmetics for skins, which are all like, they're not microtransactions. They're just unlockable in the game, but they all cost four gold coins, which is an insane amount (laughs) because there's so many costumes and they all cost four ghost coins. And I've literally got two, and I'm almost through the whole game, like if I haven't finished it, but I'm almost in the last section of it, I'd say. So I don't get that decision at all. Like why make all of these pretty costumes that even change the effects of your abilities and jumps and stuff. If like 99% of players are just not going to get them. My next point is just add to that. You obviously also need to use gold and blue coins but the amount of gold coins you need is astronomically high. And if you don't get this really, really high amount of gold coins every level, you just cannot progress through the game. And I find that infuriating (laughs) because chances are if you die, as I said, you're not really gone. You can respawn if you just hit the right note after a certain amount of time. But oftentimes the largest amount of coins or blue coins even, are hidden right after a really difficult passage in a level. So what will happen, or at least happen to me a lot of times, is I will die in front of like six gold coins. And therefore, my death will completely skip all of these coins that I need. And I will then respawn and ace a part of the level and play it perfectly that has no coins. And I find that really infuriating. Like, either just put your coins all over the entire level so that you reward players who are really good at certain parts of the rhythm of the song or don't make them lose that many coins when they die because they're just skipping them. Yes, unfortunately I find it a really really difficult game and that's okay, but this game costs 8 euros and I actually paid 1 euro for it because I had a bunch of uh, Switch coins left and for a game that is so cheap, that has these very sometimes awesome songs that are very involving and very fun and these vibrant graphics that are very interesting and you want to see more cutscenes and stuff, I don't understand why it's so obsessed with its own length. Like why it's so scared to be a short game. When you buy an 8 euro game, you're not expecting it to be this 15 hour experience. You're expect, or at least I'm expecting, a short game that just comes out guns blazing, shows me everything it's got, and then leaves. But this game locks so much away from you. I find it infuriating. (laughs) I honestly do. Like, if you could just play through the entire game, and that's it, and not have to do all of these specific things the game wants you to uh, in order to just progress through the game, I think this would be a 10 out of 10. But, like, all of these infuriating factors are really just pushing down the score for me. Adds to that that I personally just don't want to, well, spend so much time in these levels because there's not a lot of variance. Like, I think there's like, I'd say four different types of standard enemies. And I've personally, I'm almost through the entire game and I've seen like three different backgrounds like that scroll behind the level. And so I just don't understand why the game draws so much attention through all of this hubbub, (laughs) draws so much attention to its own weaknesses. I just don't think that's necessary. So like I said, if this game would not gate off itself so hard from you, it would be a 10 out of 10. As of right now, it's just a 6.5, especially because I'm playing it on Switch, and it's only for Switch and PC. And the Switch is just... (sighs) It's not uh, that amazing of a console. It has a lot of problems. And developers are really sweating to even bring out games on this this thing anymore because it's just so much weaker than anything else that we've got. The Switch is literally weaker than a phone. And so what I'm trying to say is like it's not the most perfect console for these kinds of really, really fast and precise jump and run rhythm games. So maybe... (laughs) include a little bit of a period of grace, considering that, like, the Switch is not really a responsive
1: console? I've seen this a bunch of times, and it's surprising to me how many games include, like, game-altering collectibles slash accessories that you can realistically only get in the post-game. Like, oh, you can do this, and you will unlock a new costume... But you won't use it because you've already finished everything this game has to offer. Like, (laughs) if you introduced that costume or accessory a little bit earlier, while people still have content in this game to go through, maybe they would enjoy it more.
0: 100%. Like, what you just said is exactly what this game is doing. And... Actually, one of the other League of Legends games is also doing that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you just hit the nail on its head. Like, why would I want a costume if I've already played the entire game? Unlocking a new skin is not going to get me to play the entire game again. It's just not. (laughs) Maybe include the costumes at times while you're actually playing the game. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's. I don't wanna be too mean to it. Like, It's a cheap game, it's a small game. I just wish it would recognize itself as to be a small game. I can recommend it if you're just a very high-skilled player. Like if you're not someone that plays very reactive video games all of the time and or is a casual gamer, doesn't like rhythm games, struggles with a bunch of that stuff, don't get this game. You will not get over like the first world of the game at all. The next thing I want to talk about actually takes place in the same place as Hextech Mayhem, the city of Piltover and Zon. and it's Arcane. You probably already heard about this because it's it's been the biggest pop culture thing this month. And right off the bat, it's good. It's really good. <laughs> I'm very surprised because League of Legends is not known for really good storytelling at all, like I said, earlier. Riot has been famous for really good animations and music videos and all of this stuff. But what they have been really, really bad at is, well, first of all, making women (laughs) and (laughs) telling stories. And so when they announced the show about telling the story of two women, my skin curdled. I was just like, oh (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And like the marketing to Arcane has been obnoxious and weird. The marketing has been weird, to say the least. And I'll just mention one thing. There has been a time where for a multitude of days, the characters of Hurricane have been plastered all over the skyscrapers of Dubai in Saudi Arabia. That rich people city that is has all of the expensive stuff. And you can't be gay or a woman there. And so I just want to point out that like in a city where... If you had collared hair, you would get executed on the spot. These characters with collared hair that are half naked and women have been plastered all over their skyscrapers for days and nobody's been saying shit about it, which let's not get too political here, right? But honestly, that's exactly how I imagine these things going, because if you look at the big dictatorships of our times and the big oppressive countries, these oppression rules only count towards people. They don't count towards companies. Only count towards poor people. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah, thank you for the correction. (laughs) They only count towards poor people. So a rich company can plaster your screens, your giant screens in these countries that hate poor gay people, full of a character that is a poor gay person and nothing will happen. But if you actually are a poor gay person in these countries, you're dead. Same thing is with China. I've actually read an article that one of the most popular shows in China is literally about two gay men dating, which as long as it makes money, right? But if you actually are a gay man dating, well, anyway, (laughs) sorry to get my angst out. My angst actually fits really well with the angst of Arcane. Enough preamble. Arcane is about two sisters, Powder and Vi, Vi, Violet has pink hair, powder has blue hair. And it's basically about their childhood and how they grew up to being the people that they are now. Basically, the series cuts off right at the time where they become the characters they are in League of Legends. So they live in this city called Zon, which is just a very run down, slum city, very dangerous full of criminals full of dangerous and mysterious technology chemtech these rich mafia bosses control everything it's just total well it's terrible to live there <laughs> and their parents have been killed by the police force of the overcity piltover that is built right on top of zaun so it's quite literally the well the class structure zaun works for piltover piltover does not work for zaun So they are taken in by a man called Vander, they are raised by him. And unfortunately, their lives do not get better from that point on. More than being Vi and Powder's story, the story focuses on the mental health of Powder, as she slowly breaks and becomes one of the most iconic League of Legends characters, Jinx. Which is just this Joker-like figure which didn't really have a lot of depth coming into this, but becomes quite a tragic and multifaceted character by the end of this show. I don't think this is the right place and time to just make a synopsis of the entire show, but I will definitely be going into its strengths and weaknesses as I review it. I think what this show does perfectly is basically two things. It is really good at actually creating a drama that you care about. Like the show is very, very, very dark and dramatic and very melodramatic as well. Just like Jinx itself. Jinx as a kid is a very sad and angsty kid that just, she's not funny. She's not talented. She can't fight. She's not smart. She tries to be an inventor, but everything she builds just doesn't work. She's a very helpless and just like she cries a lot. <laughs> and that sounds really annoying. And I'm sure that in another show, this would be a really annoying and like borderline like broken character because she's so one note. But in th- this show actually makes you care about that. It makes you care about all of the fates and the lives of these characters. Some more than others. I can definitely criticize that some characters are just not fleshed out. And unfortunately, this is often the female side characters. There's female side characters, especially in the piltover side of the story, that just are nothing. Like there's one female character that literally just exists to get killed and one female character that is just like a mom and that's her entire, well, personality (laughs) is that she's a mom. I'm saying this because both of these characters are actually quite important. But the series doesn't have enough time or doesn't really put in enough effort in order to make you care about them and understand the weight they actually have on the world it does the drama really excellently and it also does the pacing really well it has a breakneck pace every scene matters everything that happens pushes the plot or the characters forward a lot of people have been saying this rushes too much but honestly, I think we live during a time where so much stuff that happens in gaming and in TV shows is just a waste of time. It's just meandering. And this show isn't that. And that leads me to the reason why it doesn't do that is because it can't afford to do that. A lot of people have been calling it the prettiest and most beautiful animation they've ever seen. And I. You agree to that. It's really, 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 really pretty. And so the show just doesn't have the budget to just waste your time. Every scene looks amazing. Every frame of the show looks beautiful. So it's not here to waste your time. It's just here to continue with this development. I can definitely say, obviously, it has beautifully choreographed action. It has beautiful effects. It has awesome camera angles, it understands the characters it's following. If you have a scene with Jinx, the camera angles reflect that. The camera is more snappy and weird and cuts off at, in, at interesting parts. If you're following the characters in Piltover, which are Heimerdinger, Jace, and just a bunch of inventors trying to come up with hextech. So that's why the show is called Arcane. It involves the invention of hextech. So magical technology. That's a very fascinating part of it. When you follow these characters, it has very traditional, very political fiction angles. So like something you'd see on, well, a real life show about politics or about drama, you know, that kind of real life drama, it actually is able to blend cliches and genres of TV shows and movies in such a coherent and beautiful manner. It, for example, starts off as this very simple and cliched children's story, you know, about a gang of children that has adventures and in the last minute manages to save each other and stuff. And then cleverly subverts that angle by saying, no, hey, actually, uh, these kids stand no chance they're fucked (laughs) and you wouldn't think that from the start because you'd think okay this is actually a children's show but it's not it's it's very dark i don't know what the age rating is but it's very bloody it's very gritty you feel the impact in the fight scenes you feel the impact in everything that happens the biggest point of it its biggest strength is like i said it makes you care And that is so rare nowadays. I'm truly, truly impressed by it. What I can criticize as well, I guess, is unfortunately it continues with the politics that have been inherent with Riot Games as of right now and the past few years. It's incredibly centrist. You have the city of a bunch of the oppressed poor people that are actively policed and tortured by this overcity and just like treated terribly and the show is just like well but both sides are bad (laughs) and the way the both sides is bad thing is done is great it's good it's fine but like it does go to just awful lengths to obfuscate the fact that like obviously one of the two sides is in the wrong that's definitely a big critique point but otherwise i think the other thing that i can critique as well is i would have liked this show to just be this one season the second season is already announced and i think this combined with my other point actually really heavily affects my rating because i think if the ending of this show would have been you know the ending of the show this would have been a very brave a very avant-garde ending. A very don't show too much, don't expand too much ending. An ending that just strikes the hot iron and then leaves. But as of now, we know that the second season is confirmed, so yes, it's good that the second season will expand on some plot lines that have been kind of left up in the air, expand on some characters that haven't really gotten to the point where they are in the League of Legends video game, in the current League of Legends lore. But this ending, I think, is powerful enough to stand on its own, and I wish it would have. I wish, instead of Arcane Season 2, we would have gotten another show by the same team that did this, but that takes place somewhere else in the League of Legends world. Because the thing about League of Legends lore is, it all has great potential. Every single region of Runeterra, if treated like this, would be a beautiful show, a beautiful nine out of 10 show. Ultimately, I think my rating for this is going to be something like an eight out of 10. It would have been a nine if it wasn't so regressive in its politics. And well, if it would have just stood on its own, which by the way, like, I don't want to like shame them too much about their Not It's not that they, they're saying like, Ooh, gay people are bad. In fact, Vi is bisexual in the show and uh, Caitlin clearly a lesbian and I think her journey of crystallizing her sexuality is also very beautifully done. Decentrism, I don't know how they're gonna do it next season and it has a chance of really ruining things up in here.
1: <laughs> I have heard about Arcane, and I am interested in watching it, I'm planning to. But I do have one thing to talk about with regards to Arcane, which isn't very much connected with video games. But if you know the very famous trading card game Magic the Gathering. Oh my god. (laughs) Recently, about a year ago, Magic the Gathering has started selling cards with crossovers from different franchises. It started with The Walking Dead. It continued with Stranger Things. There is going to be a Fortnite crossover as well. And there actually is a newly announced Arcane crossover. Oh, yeah. And so what this is, is a direct product sold from the mothership company to the hands of the players. And here I'm going to tell you what they contain and how much they cost so there is two drops what they're called drops it's a bundle of cards that are connected with arcane both of them cost thirty dollars in their normal version and forty dollars in their foil so special treatment version so it's sixty or eighty if you want to get them both and here is what they contain the arcane secret layer drop contains four cards that are reprints of regular Magic the Gathering cards with arcane, and I'm not gonna say art, because it's screenshots from the show. (gasps) It's screenshots of the show on the cards, and it's four of them. That's it. And if you think, oh, maybe they did some like cards of some characters or something. No, there's no Jinx card. There's no Vi card. There's no Jace card. Nothing like that. There's just like random four screenshots plastered on cards, and it's $30 slash $40. Oh no. And then we have the second crossover, which is Arcane, Colin lands. And this is five cards. And what is this? This is one of each basic land. Basic land being uh, regular Magic The Gathering resource. It's a card that has absolutely no value whatsoever. And each of them has a screenshot from the show that looks like the color of the land it's supposed to represent. So it's like a bit of, I don't know, like Piltover or Zaun and it's blue, you know. So it's like there's like screenshots of the architecture from the show and it's just put on cards. So there's five cards of that. So... If you want to get those nine screenshots on cards, it is 60 slash $80.
0: Oh my god. That's, uh, yeah, see, that's what I meant with like weird crossovers. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's like the first time Riot Games has ever done anything in this direction ever. But still, well, whoa. <laughs> All right, good. I think we're through for this episode. We actually covered everything and I'm, I'm really happy with the length. I was, I was, <laughs> I was afraid we're going to be pushing the 1 hour 40 minute mark again, but we're not. So
1: we have talked about everything and next time we're going to talk about more games that we have played. And from me, from my side, you can be excited for a lot of 2D action platformers. <laughs> and from my side, I played
0: The Ruined King, a highly anticipated RPG.
1: I hope you have a nice week, a nice two weeks, a nice month, however long it will take us to produce the next episode. Six months. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not. (laughs) Thank you for listening.
0: Yes, thank you. See you next time.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.